Reflections with Marilyn Baker. Brought to you by Torch Trust, the Christian organization with a vision for people with sight loss. Hello and welcome to the Reflections Monthly Podcast. This is the January 2017 edition. I'm Grace Davis and I'm the producer of Reflections Radio Show with Marilyn Baker. On this month's edition, we have a special show celebrating the start of a brand new year. We report from the No Limits Conference and speak to some of the attendees there. We have a chat with Christina Ganjemi about her work with the Kairos Forum, focusing on supporting adults with disabilities. And we talk with Anne Mehmet about her experience of autism and supporting people who have it. Due to copyright issues, we have removed all music tracks other than Marilyn's own. So now, sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy our show. Reflections with Marilyn Baker Brought to you by Torch Trust the Christian organization with a vision for people with sight loss. Hello everyone and welcome to Reflections, the show from Torch Trust that focuses on faith and disability in today's world. I'm your host Marilyn Baker and I'll be with you for the next 15 minutes. Well, I'm recording this actually in my house. You may even hear... The dog's moving around. We've got two of them living here with us. My friend is buzzing around in the kitchen, so you may hear some extra sounds today that you're not used to. But never mind, because this is a very significant day, the beginning of the new year. And often we have some very good intentions, but a lot of the time we just can't stick to them, can we? And so, I thought, to begin with, we could start with a song that's quite fun, and yet it's thought-provoking too, one of mine, and it's called Gone With The Wind. You know those things that you ought to do But your intention is gone with the wind Oh yes, your intention is gone with the wind We can all give assurances that don't mean much When you promise to pray and to keep in touch There are many things Wouldn't help anyway Your intention is gone with the wind 
resolutions. Perhaps it doesn't matter that much. But sometimes we can let the past hold us back and even drag us down. So I want to ask us a question. Is it possible to leave the past behind and start again? Some would say it's not, that your past always follows you wherever you go. But the Bible gives us many examples of how God loves to give people a new beginning, a new chance to start again. Remember the Christmas message of the angels. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. And yet in society it's hard for people to be forgiven. Give a dog a bad name as they say, and that name tends to stick. But God's good news is different. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 34, God says these amazing words about his people Israel. For I will forgive their sin and will remember their sin no more. So when we receive pardon from God, he promises he will never bring up those wrong things that we've asked forgiveness for. Never again will he remember them. Isn't that a marvellous New Year's gift? Every sin washed away And every sin forgotten The promise God has made to us To remember our sins no more He sees the failures of the past They're covered by His mercy Entrusting us to do His work Believing in us as before Oh, what amazing power 
hearts cry out with gratitude as we come into his arms again. His love will take away our pain. Well, that little song, Every Sin Washed Away, was sung by yours truly, and I recorded it at home for you because it hasn't been put on an album yet. Now, one day, Tracy and I had a letter from a lady who was serving a life sentence in a high-security wing of a prison. We'll call her name Jenny. She'd been so despairing and wanting to kill herself, but the chaplain gave her one of my cassettes, and the desire to kill herself left. It was as if a seed of faith and hope was born in her heart that day. Well, as we were in the area, we decided to go and visit her. We came to love her and corresponded with her regularly. But we realised, because of all that had happened, she found it impossible to forgive herself and to really believe God would. Just to tell you a bit about her. Whilst growing up, she'd been constantly abused by her father and married young to get away from him. But her husband became an alcoholic and began to knock her around on a regular basis. We don't know the full details of what happened next. But one day she found him in a drunken stupor with a cigarette smouldering on the carpet. She was very angry with him and shook him awake. Wanting to show him the dangers, she lit a match herself. They argued the match dropped onto the highly flammable settee and in seconds it went up. The fire became out of control. Her husband died, and tragically so did her 11-year-old daughter, who was in bed at the time. Her heart was broken, and although she understood from my songs that God cared, in her heart she just could not believe that God could ever forgive her. We talked about it a lot, but somehow she was stuck, Then one day, we had a letter from her that seemed very different. She'd had an amazing dream which changed her life. It was a stormy winter's evening and she was walking alone in the storm. But as the rain got heavier, she felt cold through and through and longed to find some shelter. Then she saw lights from a little cottage and hurried towards them. As she stood at the door, a voice called to her, Come in, Jenny. I've been waiting for you. Come and get dry. Come and sit down with me by the fire. Now she knew instantly this was the voice of Jesus. She didn't want to go in because she was afraid. But in the end, she did. And she sat down. But her eyes were downcast. She could not look at him. Then he said so kindly, Jenny, look at me. I've taken your shame and all your sins away. You're totally forgiven and I want to heal your heart and help you bear your grief. She couldn't believe these gentle, uncondemning words coming from him. But as she looked into his face, 
She saw such love and acceptance in his eyes, and the warmth of this acceptance began to flood over her. She sat there quietly. It seemed a long time. She wept for her loss. But after a while, being there with him, she felt strength coming into her, strength enough to leave. As she walked out of the cottage, it was still stormy, but she felt a new and deep peace in her heart. Then she woke up and realised it was all a dream. But the reality of this encounter stayed with her. She could not forget the love and acceptance she had felt and realised God had truly shown her how he felt about her. And from that day onwards, she wanted to share this message. She wanted him close by her side always. She served her sentence, but became a great inspiration to others, helping them to find this forgiveness too. Quite a dramatic story, you may say, but a true one. So if you have regrets, and we all do have them, don't we? If you feel you'd like to be more sure of God's forgiveness and closeness to you, why not talk to him yourself today? The whole point of him coming into our world was to show us that God longs to forgive us and draw us close to him so he can help us throughout our everyday lives. Emmanuel, God with us. That is the Christmas message. And Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That could be a good motto for us, not to concentrate on the things that pull us down, the old things, the regrets, but to move forward with God, accepting that clean slate that he wants to give us every day. Well, I hope you've been inspired today. And don't forget... For our blind and partially sighted readers, we have some wonderful books in the Torch Library which are free to borrow on request. To contact us, you could call our free phone number. That's 0333 123 1255. 0333 123 1255. Or you could email us at info at torchtrust.org. We love to hear from our listeners. So if you've got a story to tell, or you fancy a song request, well, do get in touch. That's all we've got time for today. So from me, Marilyn, and all of the Reflections team, goodbye, and we wish you a very happy new year. Reflections from Torch Trust Reflections with Marilyn Baker Brought to you by Torch Trust The Christian organisation with a vision for people with sight loss Hello and welcome to Reflections The show from Torch Trust that focuses on faith and disability in today's world I'm Grace Davis and I produce the Reflections radio show Marilyn will be with you in just a few moments. But first, I'd like to take a minute to explain that this show originally aired in 2010. The events described by Marilyn and Lynn happened several years ago. We're rerunning this show, which is all about angels, 
because we think it's an absolutely fascinating topic and well worth thinking about again. And do listen out later in the year when we'll be broadcasting a whole new show about angels. Today, Lynn Ball and I are going to be talking about angels. Now, you might wonder why we should choose this subject. It's partly because I wanted the opportunity to tell you of a rather frightening accident that I had last year and my conviction that God's angels protected me. And Lynn's also going to tell you a true story about angels. But first, it would be a good idea to ask exactly what we understand by angels. Well, hello everyone. And Marilyn, I quite understand why you would want to start by clearing up that question. Lots of people seem to rather confuse angels with um, fanciful creatures like fairies. I suppose the mix-up might have happened because we usually think of angels as having wings. And, and sort of Christmas decorations, you exactly. know, and things like that. Yes, but in the Bible, angels don't always have wings. Sometimes, in fact largely, they just look like ordinary people. It seems angels can appear in different forms. But what are angels for? During Christmas, we've been reminded about one very important role carried out by angels. Yes, uh, I've been thinking quite a lot about angels, you know, being Christmas and reading the Christmas story. And from the Christmas story, we learn that one of the jobs that angels do for God is to be messengers. I mean, angels take the message about the baby Jesus to Mary. And an angel also tells Joseph to carry on with his marriage plans with Mary, even though she's pregnant. And I mean, that must have shocked Joseph, the whole scenario, but an angel stepped in there to help him. Yes, Marilyn, and there were the whole troop of angels that were sent to tell the shepherds out on the hillsides around Bethlehem mm. about the wonderful birth of his son. But taking messages isn't the only job that angels do. And the Christmas story isn't the only time when angels make an appearance. In fact, angels pop up throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, doing different tasks. Yes, because when Jesus was in great agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that he has to go through very painful death, an angel is there to comfort him. And after his resurrection, angels are seen in the empty tomb. I'm amazed at how many times they come into Bible stories. It's wonderful, isn't it? But angels also have another very important role because God uses them to protect his people from harm. So let's listen to these verses of Scripture and then I want to describe how I experienced the very real protection of God's angels for myself. Psalm 34 verse 7 says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Psalm 91, verses 10 to 12, says, No harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Well, I was travelling back from Kent, just having recorded our Insight programme, actually, and I got out at Tunbridge Station. I'm used to this station, but I was at the far end of the platform and nobody really seemed to be around. Well, I was used to walking to the exit, so I strolled quite confidently with my guide dog, Penny, 
up the platform, but there seemed to be a few things around. This was shown on CCTV footage, but there were decorators around and there seemed to be some cartons of chips and, and burgers on the platform and hot chocolate spilt. I wasn't fully aware of all this, but my guide dog was trying to get me around everything. Anyway, suddenly something terrible happened. I felt a terrible thud. I didn't even realise what had happened. One minute I was walking. Next minute I was flat on my back in awful pain and I realised I'd fallen on the track. I was carrying a very heavy rucksack and I didn't hit my head. That was amazing. Um, the, the rucksack broke the fall, really. I was so dazed but I realised I had to get the rucksack off somehow and I had to shout for help. And I did. I shouted as loud as I could, although I was in a lot of, of pain and I could hardly sort of breathe, but I shouted. And then I heard somebody say, a train's coming, what shall we do? You can imagine how I felt. I just couldn't have moved. Even if the train had come, I couldn't have moved at all. And then I felt arms underneath me and men lifting me off the track and then I heard them say, get the dog, get the dog. We've got to get the dog off the track too. So, um, you know, Penny was safe. But I just lay there on the platform, uh, hardly realising what had happened. And then the train came. They managed actually to stop the train by waving a red flag. Apparently it was just feet away from me when it stopped. The amazing thing was that not one bone was broken I was badly bruised and I had to go to hospital, but everybody said it could have been so much more serious. And if I hadn't managed to shout, I wouldn't be alive today, would I? Because, well, the train would have come. But the way those decorators lifted me off the track wasn't just coincidence. I believe that angels were round about me. I think that the devil actually wanted to destroy my life, really. But God kept me safe. I'm here today to tell the story. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. He will command his angels concerning you. He certainly did for me. And many, many people prayed for me. I went for some treatment on my back. And the back specialist was saying how amazing it was that I was making such a fast recovery. Well, Marilyn, I know it was a really frightening experience that you had. And a lot of us were praying for you. And I remember one of the things that really struck us and we thought this is really God was the fact that you suffered so little emotional distress afterwards that God seemed to strengthen you psychologically even. We, we were worried that you wouldn't be able to travel on public transport again without someone with you all the time. But God gave you the courage, didn't he? Yes, and in fact, last week I travelled on the same day, exactly three months to the day that it happened. At the same time it all happened, I travelled on a train. And I said to my friend Tracy, I do feel a bit nervous, it's all at the same time as it all happened. And then she said, why don't you make it a time of rejoicing and thankfulness? It was actually Friday the 13th and someone said, that's an unlucky day. And I thought, no, it's not an unlucky day for me. It's a day when I can thank God that I'm going to be safe on my next train journey. And so I was. Well, Marilyn, I've also got a story to tell about angels, but it's very different to yours. Some years ago, well, it would have been um, the year of our 25th wedding anniversary, my husband and I were flying to Malta to celebrate, and we left behind in our home in Oxford our son Jonathan. 
At that point, he was a few weeks short of his 20th birthday, I think. It was the university holidays. Jonathan had been doing some temping jobs. And the morning that we were flying, he was due to go down to the office to report for another temp job. Well, I remember that on the plane, I was kind of half asleep in my seat. And then suddenly, I was totally awake. In my mind, I had seen a picture of Jonathan on his bicycle. And standing around him as if it was at the four points of the compass, were four men in black. I couldn't see any detail about them, but I just knew that they were angels. Well, as soon as we landed, I told my husband that I urgently needed to phone home. I was afraid something dreadful had happened to Jonathan. It took us ages to get to the hotel, and then we had to find a phone that we could use for international calls. Finally, I got through to him. That morning... Cycling along the Cowley Road, which is one of the busiest roads in Oxford, Jonathan had been overtaken by a bus, which cut in front of him so closely, squeezing him uh, between the bus and a parked car. Mm -hmm. And uh, the bus had clipped his bike. He'd been thrown from his bike into the road. Now, thankfully, he was wearing a helmet. He was taken to hospital, suffering cuts and bruises and concussion, but he'd been allowed home because a friend had agreed to sleep that night in the house with him so that he wasn't on his own. Now, I believe that God sent his angels to preserve my son's life that morning, and graciously, he had allowed me to know about it. Well, that's a wonderful story, Lynn. God certainly protected Jonathan. And, you know, I can travel with confidence again, despite my accident, knowing that I'm not alone because God's angels are round about me, and I believe they're round about us all, his unseen helpers. So I'd like to end with part of one of my songs called Rest in My Love.
Thank you for being with us at the start of our programmes this year and our prayer for each of you is that you will know the protection of God's angels in your lives this coming year. And if you'd like to leave us a comment, question or a song suggestion, then why not give us a call completely free on 0333 123 1255 or you can email us on info at torchtrust.org. I'm sorry to say we're out of time this week, but we'll be back again next Sunday. So until then, from me, Marilyn, and from everyone on the Reflections team, goodbye and God bless. Reflections from Torch Trust. Reflections with Marilyn Baker. Brought to you by Torch Trust, the Christian organization with a vision for people with sight loss. Hello and a warm welcome to Reflections, the show from Torch Trust that focuses on faith and disability in today's world. I'm your host, Marilyn Baker, and I'll be with you for the next quarter of an hour. On today's show, we look back at the amazing No Limits Conference held at the end of last year by Churches for All. This event was part of Enabling Church and was designed to inform and inspire everyone who works with or supports children, youth and families with additional needs. On the day, there were some wonderful talks, sessions and workshops. So let's find out what some of the guests and speakers at the event thought of it all, starting with Bishop Michael Ipgrave. What has the No Limits Conference meant to you today? I think it's been great to see such a wide range of people in terms of different churches and different backgrounds come together to explore both the practicalities of how, as a church, we make people welcome, but also what that means more deeply for our faith, our sense of who we are together before God. And for me, it's been a very spiritually moving day. And what do you think to the other speakers that you've heard today? What's your general impression of what's been going on? I think it's shown what a wide range we're covering. Some have talked very movingly about work with young people. That's the particular workshop stream that I was in. And then also about living with disability throughout one's life and what that means in terms of who you are as a disciple of Jesus Christ and how you can support one another and I think the big the big point I'll take away is that that we're not the church without one another and disabled people can really enrich the life of the church. This is Reverend Zoe Hemming here. Zoe, what does the conference today mean to you? Oh, it means um, that the church is finally beginning to discover that this isn't about uh, just doing an extra good bit of work, you know, on top of what we're already doing. This is about discovering who church is and who is being uh, excluded from church, who should be at the very heart of it. Um, So for me, it just feels as though, you know, it's one of those moments where you can hear the penny dropping, you can feel a move of God, and people are um, discovering... God in so much broader ways through 
through hearing from each other and ways in which that, that we're all able to encourage each other by admitting that we're not experts <laughs> and actually it's about getting the best possible advice you can get and, and sharing all the lessons because this isn't about a particular area this is about every all of us mm. so we have not got to reinvent the wheel and that's what's the most useful take-home thing as well as it just being really energizing and encouraging yeah i think there's been a really special atmosphere today i think you can really feel it people yeah we're all engaged taking it yeah, in. yeah 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 there's so many different sorts of people here as well mm. um from people who belong to families with additional needs uh, through to people who have spent dedicated their lives trying to make church a more inclusive place for people with any sorts of disabilities to really really smart theologian types who can communicate stuff really helpfully about the fact that guess what to be a human is to be limited and that, that for some reason has needed saying because it's as though we the church has colluded with everyone else in the world to pretend that we're not and actually our churches just have to be those places where you actually just come as you are and bring what you've got and God does something amazing there Hayden, can you tell us what the No Limits Conference has meant to you today? It's meant a lot of hard work for me today (laughs) I've been busy, it's been great though um, seeing people live out and embody uh, what it means for uh, ministry and for Christian life to be something which involves all people, not just the chosen and anointed few. But uh, God has a place at the table for all people, whatever their level of ability or impairment or disability is. And I'm really encouraged to see what's been going on here today, and there's a lot of hope for me for the church for the future. So you definitely think there's a better future ahead. People are actually taking an interest and realising this is everyone's business. Well, absolutely, yeah. The um, the pool of people who are interested and excited about this seems to be growing. With God, there's always hope and everything's possible. God can do everything uh, and then we can do all things because Christ strengthens us to do those things. And so mostly it's about raising awareness and getting people's attention focused on this issue when there are so many other things that you could be concerned about but I think God has a special place we're told in scripture for those who are poor and disenfranchised and needy and unfortunately in our society even though we're mostly well off and everything disabled people are amongst those who are often poor and are becoming increasingly disenfranchised and needy so it's a gospel imperative to, to be doing this and what do you think on an individual level people can do they can pray to God that he would enable them to no longer see other people or themselves from a worldly point of view but see them as people who are precious and valuable that there is hope and therefore we should live as people of light and hope which all sounds a bit airy fairy but mostly it means if you If you view people as valuable and precious, you treat them with respect, you honour them, you look out for them, you look out for the needs of your community, you allow other people to do the same for you. Through doing all that, you point people to the light of the world, which is Jesus. tell us what the No Limits Conference has meant to you today. I think the No Limits Conference is absolutely fantastic Um, not because it's a good thing to do but because the theology of disability, so thinking about God and faith um, through the lives of people with disabilities you can hear how busy it is here today Mm. um, is so important 
it's not a special part of the church or a special interest. It's an ordinary way of being church. So what's been important is that we've had people that are engaged in youth ministry, ordinary youth ministry, who've come to think about who they invite, um, who's part of the groups and the, 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 the work that they do um, in their faith setting and how the lives of disabled people can enrich what they're doing. Um, because a group that is void of anybody with a disability isn't really a no-limits group. It's a group that's limited. So for me, the conference has given us an opportunity to engage with lots of people um, and share all the fantastic, exciting things that we've been doing in the field of disability. Our producer, Grace Davis, attended the No Limits conference and while she was there, had the opportunity to sit down with speaker Mary Beth Walsh and found out what she has learnt from raising her son who has autism. Now, you've just given your talk about your son, Ben, who has autism. Can you tell our listeners a little bit of his story and, and what your talk is about today? I like to talk about all the things I've learned over the years of taking men to church, which I think I've been working on for about 15 years now. So, um, Ben has a lot of um, challenges, but he loves certain things like regularity, things being in the same place and happening at the same time. Uh, church ends up being an excellent, excellent place to tap into his strengths. It's the same place, it's the same time, it's the same people, it's the same order of the same words every single week. So he gets it. He got good at it. <laughs> and he basically exceeded, I think, everyone's expectations, including my own. But along the way, for him learning really how to be a member of the community, um, the people who helped him and what I talked about today was really focusing on the peers, his, the other kids in his class who um, figured out how to talk to him, how to provide the support he needed, and were his great champions. I think it's interesting that, um, you know, from what you said, kids can sometimes figure it out on their own. They don't have to be taught how to speak to someone with autism. They kind of just observe and, and learn it themselves, don't they? Right, and they observe what, what's happened over the course of six years. You know, the, the, the kids had the advantage of they were with him every year, whereas the poor teachers changed every year, and they were always trying. They just about figured it out, you know, by the end of the year, and then, oh, they, they were switched, you know, to somebody else. So the kids did benefit from the long exposure, but that's the reason why um, an inclusive religious education setting makes sense, because when the kids benefit from long exposure to somebody with very specific challenges, then they grow up to be the people in the pews who will be more accepting. Hmm. So what would be your advice for parents of children with autism? You know, again, it's going to be, I think, so different from one child to another. I think that um, I think parents often don't have... Another hidden part of my story that I didn't really say is that I was very lucky to have a lot of opportunities to learn how to interact with Ben when he was diagnosed. We had very good support in our home, working on programs with him, but also working on me, training me to interact. So we call that sometimes in the U.S. parent training. And it's not necessarily easy for parents to access that kind of service. Everybody wants to help the child, but nobody wants to teach the parent how to help the child. That's harder to find. If you can find that, go for that. Do that as much as you possibly can, because then you'll be in the position to really make the smart choices about how much support your child needs in any given situation, and you'll be able to provide it when it is needed. That'll make everybody's lives easier. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Well... That's just about all we have time for this week. 
If you'd like to find out more about the work of Churches for All and keep up with their future events, then do visit their website, churchesforall.org.uk. If you want to find out more about how you can help your church to become more accessible, then check out the book Enabling Church by Torch CEO Gordon Temple with Lynn Ball. Available from Torch in standard print, large print, braille and audio. You can get hold of a copy by calling 0333 123 1255 or emailing info at torchtrust.org. That's also the contact information to use if you'd like to make any comments about today's show. We love to hear from our listeners, so do get in touch. Until then, from me, Marilyn and everyone on the Reflections team, goodbye and God bless. Reflections from Torch Trust. Reflections with Marilyn Baker. Brought to you by Torch Trust, the Christian organization with a vision for people with sight loss. And a very warm welcome to Reflections, the show from Torch Trust that focuses on faith and disability in the modern world. I'm your host, Marilyn Baker, and we've got a great show lined up for you today. If you're a regular listener, you may have recently heard our interviews from the No Limits Conference, which was held at the end of last year. It was a fascinating day, focusing on inclusion and equality for everyone. And our producer, Grace Davis, got to attend the event. While there, she was able to speak with Christina Gangemi from the Kairos Forum about their work in the field of intellectual and cognitive disability with a focus on spirituality. Well, it sounds like a very interesting area. So let's go over to them now. So can you tell us a bit about the Kairos project? Kairos Forum is a very small um, it's a small mission with a large vision. Um, a small consultancy that was formed out of the University of Aberdeen, Professor John Swinton, um, where we began to think how a theology of disability, so all of the theory that exists within this new field of disability studies, can be turned into practice um, and encourage people to act. And uh, you, you led one of the talks today. Can you tell us a bit about the Everybody Has a Story project? So the Everybody Has a Story project was born out of a two-year research project that we did with 35 people with intellectual disabilities. Um, in the research, we sought to inquire in very creative ways what spirituality and religious practice looked like, felt like and meant uh, for people who'd been intellectually disabled and how from the experience of our research partners of all different abilities how we could create a course or something for parishes and faith communities to do uh, which created um, a hospitable and authentic space for people to tell their stories and to allow their stories to um, inspire and um, encourage people to engage in communities of belonging. So what what we began to look at when we were doing our research was actually every single body has a story 
and actually each and every one of us is created in the image of God and so therefore there is no choice about inclusion because within the story of humanity and indeed within the story of Christianity everybody belongs everybody has a place and so therefore um, what what everybody has a story tried to do was to make that space. So I, I imagine one of, the, one of the things you would have to address with this is finding the ways that worked for people to share their stories. So how did you deal with that? We learnt from the people who, who were our research partners. Um, we, we had to sort of go through a process of um, emptying ourselves. In theological terms, that's a kenosis, so a complete emptying of what we presumed uh, about what it meant to be human. And what we presumed about faith and engaging in faith was. Um, And learn from the bodies, the body language, the expressions and the stories of our research partners. So we could no longer say, oh, we're planning a storytelling activity. Um, We're going to bring this to read and that to write. We had to say, actually, in our group... We had lots of people of lots of different abilities. So if I'm going to do something that gathers stories, I'm going to make sure I have signs, symbols, structure, art, drama. In fact, I'll do anything to create a space for somebody's story to be expressed. And, and what happened was we began to um, have an image of God that wasn't just about the written word or the red word. We had an image of God that was created where everybody had something to share about the grace that they had and about their openness to God. One of the most profound outcomes for us was people who have for, well, almost ever, um, been excluded from activities in faith communities spoke to us of God and Jesus as their friend. And we began to think about that theologically because we said, well, if you've been excluded from knowing who Jesus is, because Jesus is taught in a certain way, what you're sharing with us about Jesus as your friend tells us something about God's open invitation to everybody. Because even though you might not have been included in a church community or a faith community or taught something about God, your experience of God in your life is grace um, and your experience of God as friend is profound mm. because at the end of the day when we look at why we go to church and what we seek to do at church it's about entering into communion into union with God and knowing God as friend Let's get back to Grace and Christina. I suppose it, it, it's saying it's not just a, a mind thing, not just a taught thing. It's somehow innate in everyone. Absolutely. Anyone can access that and yeah. know God in, yeah. in their own way, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there was a, a theologian in the 1950s. His name was Karl Rahner. And he asked a question where he, he said that one of the deepest difficulties that we have in theology is discovering how we might be able to understand how God's grace exists in the human heart before we educate. So before we have our Sunday school programmes or our programmes of learning, um, where can we find evidence of God's grace being present in the human heart? 
rather than us teaching the heart that mm. God's greatest prison. Uh, for example, one young woman with Down syndrome, her name was Sarah, um, she had a very challenging, um, for somebody who's typical communicator, way of communicating, when she spoke, the beginnings of her words, she stuttered a lot, so she really had difficulty getting her words out. So we devised a very creative way of allowing her to express herself through picture and image. At the end of us doing bits and pieces of not telling her what God was, but asking her who God was for her, um, we asked her a question and we said, Sarah, what do you think the word holy means? And Sarah, after a while, when she felt confident um, to express herself, she said very clearly, it's as if people are um, beautiful. That for us became a way of reflecting theologically on the concept of holy. And that if she was in a space that was holy and everybody was beautiful, what was the link between the two? And did she see beauty in every single person, which was an extremely holy way of exploring and experiencing the world? So we, we've learned so much about people who have been excluded from God actually knowing and feeling more about God mm. than those of us that have studied him. So it's absolutely what you say. It's about something that's beyond intellect. It's mm. about receiving the gift of friendship. So um, is, is this an ongoing project? Can, is there a way people can get involved with it? Absolutely. Um, the Kairos Forum, if you take a look at our website, www.thekairosforum.com, there are, there's lots of information about what we're doing. But what we ask is, whatever you do in your church, whatever you do in your church community, whatever you do in your school, look at it and ask yourself the question, who's invited? If we believe that all life is gift, then we can only begin from a starting point where everybody's welcome. And that means that we need to learn how to use symbols, to learn how to communicate effectively. We need to be sure that our services and our activities are empathic. Um, but actually, it's about a learning of the heart, where we begin by saying, in our community, everybody belongs, and everything that we do is a moment of welcome and everybody's invited. When we begin from that starting point, then nobody can be excluded because it's about doing what Jesus did. He welcomed every single body. We have to follow the example of Jesus and we have to engage and welcome and celebrate the lives and the stories of everybody, no matter their ability. Thank you both. If you'd like to learn more about the work of the Kairos Forum, then do visit their website, kairosforum.com. You can also follow Christina on Twitter by searching for at Kairos Forum. And if you'd like to leave us a comment, question or a song suggestion, then why not give us a call completely free on 0333 123 1255. Or you can email us on info at torchtrust.org. I'm sorry to say we're out of time this week, but we'll be back again next Sunday. So until then, from me, Marilyn, and from everyone on the Reflections team, goodbye and God bless. Reflections 
from Torch Trust. Hello and a warm welcome to Reflections, the programme from Torch Trust that takes a look at faith and disability in today's world. I'm Marilyn Baker. As some of you know, I'm blind and so I have to rely heavily on my hearing to find out what's going on around me. Sometimes, when there's a crowd, it's difficult to know who's in the room. Well, today we hear from a woman with good sight and good hearing, but who, like me, struggles to decode social situations. She's Anne Mehmet, and she has autism. Well, Anne wasn't diagnosed with autism until her adult years, but with God's help, she worked through many challenges to become a disability advisor to the government, to churches and to other organisations. She also supports other people with the condition. Now, I thought I knew quite a bit about autism, but speaking to Anne when she popped into our studio a bit earlier made me realise that actually I didn't know very much at all. She helped to dispel a few myths and she really got to the heart of what daily life is like for people with autism. I began by asking her exactly what autism was. It's quite a good question these days because the specialists are changing their mind on what is and isn't autism. And next year we have the new diagnostic manual which redefines this. Traditionally, people would always say that autism was a combination of autism characteristics but also a learning disability, speech and language difficulties, and often behavioural issues as well. So people would be thought of always to have those things, and then they would lump it all together and call it autism. Yes, that was pretty much what was happening. And since we've had the benefit of technology and the benefit of a lot of autistic people coming forward, they've changed their minds on what autism is and isn't. And now it's really thought of as two main things, possibly some would argue three. It is an inability to decode other people's social information. So anything that's nonverbal body language, so facial expressions, eye contact, also tone of voice, anything that can help people decode meaning from words, we don't have the right bits of the brain to do that. We also have a tremendous need for routine and predictability. So right. if something changes very fast, it means that we struggle to keep up and we can panic. Mm -hmm. And eight out of ten of us will also have a sensory processing difference, which means that the environment around us, lighting, sound, temperature, anything to do with how the sensors are decoding the world is interpreted differently by us. So our internal world can be very different from that which other people expect. So if you're in a very noisy environment or an environment with a lot of bright lights, a lot of very busy activity, that could really send you into a panic or make you feel very uncomfortable. That's exactly it, yeah. The brain we have is brilliant for some things but it's just not made for that incoming avalanche if you like of sensory stuff in a strange way it's almost the opposite of being completely blind and completely deaf and you'd think the opposite was being able to see and hear but in reality it's being able to see and hear too much all mm. at the same time yes now one thing i've heard is that people who have autism they can lack empathy now is this a myth 
I think it's turning out to be another one of the myths, yes. The more of us, again, who come forward and say, hold on a minute, that's just not true, the more the scientists and the professionals are having to rethink it. And I think it came about because if you can't see body language and you can't really decode eye signals and you can't hear the tone of voice, you don't know what the other person's thinking. So unless they say to you really clearly, God, I feel sad today, or oh, I feel quite happy today, you won't know how to respond. But of course, when you do hear the person's sad, then you actually want to respond. Absolutely, yes. Many of us are deeply empathetic. We really worry about offending other people and about making sure that we're the best friends we can be. But mm. it's a hard time when we just can't see what it is we're dealing with. So it's lovely when we have friends who are really clear and say, I'd like you to do this for me because I'm feeling sad. You know, mm. it's, it's such a nice thing to have someone in your life who can do that. Yes. So there's a lot of things you have to learn with autism, isn't there? And so yes. I'd yeah. like to ask you really about education and things like this. I mean, when did you realise, for instance, that you were autistic? Was it recognised for you as a child? No, in fact, autism has really only been properly recognised since about 1994. And for many women, it's only now becoming properly recognised because they didn't realise how it appears in us. So for me, it's only been within the last 10 years that I've known that I'm on the autism spectrum. Even though I'm actually not at the mild end, I'm somewhere in the middle and some would say more towards the severe end with some of the things that panic me. Right. And so you had a fairly, shall we say, normal education then? I went through standard schooling, yes, but I was very fortunate indeed to go through schools that were very predictable, very structured, where all the classrooms were very quiet, where we could only focus on what the teacher was saying. Well, now, I know you're a churchgoer. Does mm -hmm. being autistic mean that it's difficult to take part in a service sometimes? It can do, yes. I found that accessing church is one of the biggest struggles I had. And really, it's not the fault of the churches themselves. I think it's that it's so difficult for us to be able to go into somewhere where everything is set up to be a sensory overload. And of course, there's all the social interaction that happens as well, where people expect that you will be able to decode what they're thinking and what they're feeling and that you'll be able to join in with the big social stuff. Yes, after the service, for instance, the coffee oh, time. Gosh, yes, coffee time. I love being with people. I mean, there's this wonderful myth that most of us are extreme introverts who don't want to be with other people. But like anyone else, we can be anything from introvert to extreme extrovert. I'm an extrovert. I love it. But I'm useless at it. And it's really frustrating because I can't tell what the group is like. I can't tell just by looking at them whether it's a group who are feeling a bit sad or a group that's feeling a bit happy. So it's quite nerve-wracking going up to them and trying to guess. So yeah, and putting that into an environment where there's loads of background noise and I can't really hear what they're saying makes it triply challenging. Now I know that your Christian faith is important to you, so how did you come to understand about God's love for you? Yeah, my understanding of God happened before my understanding of people. 
And that's something that surprises a lot of folk. But before the age of 10, I wasn't certain what I was. My brain just didn't have enough wiring connected up to tell me that I was a person. And I certainly didn't know what other people were either. But I knew God was there. And I'm pretty sure that was the result of having a grandmother who had so many pictures from the Bible around the house. That helped me hugely. It managed to reach me in ways that words couldn't. And that's not the same for everyone on the autism spectrum, but a lot of us are visual thinkers. And I just knew that God was there. And this is part of the frustration I had with trying to access church because I've so wanted to join in and share my faith and friendship with other people. I love the fact that God was able to communicate with you in a way that you sensed his presence when you were even finding it difficult to sense what other people were like. And yet somehow God got through into your spirit. That's a very special thing to know. Yes. Um, How do you think that churches could help autistic people? We're seeing a lot of interest starting to come from the churches now. For example, this weekend I've been invited to a church where perfectly ordinary church, very ordinary town, happened to start asking around in their congregation and in their linked schools. And they said, what do you know about autism? And people said, God, we really want to know, but we don't know of anyone who can tell us. And they have set up a day where people have the opportunity to watch some film clips about it, to ask questions, to meet people on the autism spectrum. And everyone is flocking to this thing. I think the vicar is completely astonished because what should have been just a few people round a table has turned into some sort of three-ring circus, if you like, of people wanting to engage with this, which is lovely but it shows what the need is out there because there are so many on the spectrum and so many really wanting to know what to do. Lots of information online where we've written the national guidelines, for example, and people like me are there to respond to that need so we can be those first people to say, try this, it's really easy, it's not going to cost you a lot, and you get great people in your church. And uh, you've been writing material for a new book yourself, haven't you? Yes, yes, I was approached by a a very good set of people from Churches for All and from the Prospects group, and they have suggested that I work with them writing a chapter about autism. So can you tell me about Prospects? Prospects are a charity, they work nationally, and they work with people who have a learning disability, many of whom turn out to also be on the autism spectrum. So there's quite a big overlap between the two things. Now, in the Bible, Jesus interacted with many blind people. Do you think Jesus knew any autistic people? I think he did. And, of course, back in those days, there was no such thing as a diagnosis of autism, so this is pure conjecture, but let's run with it. Nicodemus, let's look at him for a minute. He approached Jesus in the quiet of evening, away from the crowds, and that's exactly what many of us would do, just to get out of the noise. He started asking questions about really literal things and literal understanding is quite often how we are. All this business about being born again, you can't be born again, he said. So he was trying to interpret it very, very literally. 
And Jesus was great because he didn't say, oh, what are you like? He did re-explain it to him. And Nicodemus went on from there to become a really good friend to Jesus. Of course, life can be even more challenging for people with autism who have other disabilities, such as sight loss or hearing loss. If you'd like more information about Anne's work, then her website address is annemmet.org.uk. That's A-N-N-M-E-M-M-O-T-T dot org dot uk. Anne's website has lots of useful links to other autism and disability websites. A good source of information is the National Autistic Society and their website address is autism.org.uk. Torch Trust offers a range of services to blind and partially sighted people, some of whom also have autism. If you'd like more information about those services, the number to call is 0333 123 1255. That's 0333 123 1255. Or you can email us at info at torchtrust.org. Until next time, from me, from Anne and the rest of the Reflections team, goodbye and God bless. Reflections from Torch Trust.